What's going on? Welcome back to the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. This is the long-awaited blood pressure podcast. This is without question the most highly requested and anticipated podcast episode I've ever done. So I want to apologize for making you wait literally months and months and months for this one. I've been talking about it a long time. I've wanted to do it for a long time because what I'm going to share in this episode could without question save your life or the life of someone you know. So please listen the whole way through. There are a couple of things I want to start off with just before we dive into it. So don't skip around. Make sure you listen to the whole episode without skipping around because then if you skip around, you're going to hear something and then you're going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. But you got to listen to the whole thing. You don't have to listen to the whole thing at once. I know sometimes I, I ramble and it's uh, it's too much to listen to all at once, but do not skip around. So the first thing I have to say is this. I'm talking about blood pressure. I'm talking about how I have overcome high blood pressure, about all the things I've done with it. I'm talking about the the medical advice that I was given from my doctors and my cardiologists and all the things that I've researched. But I am not a doctor. I am not a medical professional and I'm not giving you medical advice. So realistically, I'm just saying this to cover my own ass, just in case someone is like, I can't believe, I can't believe he's giving medical advice. This is not fucking medical advice. Okay. I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm just a personal trainer. I'm a lowly personal trainer talking about what I've learned and what I did to help me get over high blood pressure. So before you get all riled up and say, I can't believe he's making a a medical podcast and, and giving out medical advice. It's not fucking medical advice just giving out my thoughts and and what has helped me with my blood pressure. And hopefully it will help you as well if you're struggling with it or someone you know is struggling with it. Or at the very least, if, if there's only one thing you take from this podcast, I just hope that it makes you aware of your blood pressure because the awareness of this is without question the most important part. Uh, actually, I have some stats up right in front of me. If this doesn't blow your mind, then just stop listening right now because to me, this is fucking crazy, All right? And, and I can put the links to these uh, these PubMed articles up in the show notes if you'd like, if you're interested in looking at them. But as of right now, every year, and this whole podcast is not going to be all numbers and data. I know that can be really annoying. But as of right now, every year, high blood pressure is responsible for 76 million deaths around the world. It's not just in the US, right? It's around the world. 7.6 million deaths every year are due to elevated and high blood pressure. That is fucking crazy. Just to give you a little bit more context to that, around 7.6 million deaths per year. If we look at total COVID deaths over the last more than two years, total COVID deaths around the world 6.2 million. Now here's where this even gets a little bit iffy, and I'm not going to get into a whole political discussion or argument around this, but there's also a difference between someone dying from COVID versus someone dying with COVID. These are two very different things. And there's actually been a lot of debate around this, but for example, just so you have some context, let's say someone got in a huge car accident and they died. And then they, they were doing an examination and they realized, oh, this person had COVID when they died. Well, obviously They died from the blunt force trauma in the car accident, not from COVID, right? But from what I can tell from these overall COVID deaths worldwide over the last more than two years, the 6.2 million, they're including both people dying from COVID and people dying with COVID. Now, 
let's just say they're not, let's just say for the sake of it, all of these people, all the 6.2 million deaths from COVID over the last couple of years, let's just say that's only people who've died from COVID, not with COVID as well. That's over the last two plus years as of the recording of this podcast. Every year, 7.6 million deaths worldwide from high blood pressure. Every single year. And the crazy part about that is, More than 50% of people who have high blood pressure do not know they have high blood pressure. I didn't know I had high blood pressure when I, when I first figured it out. Like before that, I had no idea. And I'll tell you the whole story about how I figured it out. But more than 50% of people who have high blood pressure, they have no idea that they have it. And just so you know, High blood pressure is called the silent killer. That's what medical professionals refer to high blood pressure as. If you don't believe me, Google it. Google the silent killer. It's high blood pressure is called the silent killer because there are no symptoms. You you can't know unless you take your blood pressure. It's not like, oh, I have my, my heart rate is high. I must have high blood pressure. That's not how it works. Actually, you know, heart rate and blood pressure are not necessarily even correlated. You could have a relatively low resting heart rate and have high and elevated blood pressure. So it is so important for you. If you take nothing else from this podcast, become aware of it. Get a blood pressure monitor. I will put a link to the one that I use. I bought it on Amazon. I believe it's like 30 bucks or something. I've had it for over two years now, over three years now, I think. And uh, it's it, it works. I've had to change the batteries like twice. I brought it to my doctor's office so that I could calibrate it with my doctor's machine and it was within a couple of points so it's super accurate it works really well and i just want you to be aware of it i want you to be aware of it i want your friends to be aware of it i want your family members to be aware of it please just be aware of your blood pressure there are no symptoms of it you just have to be aware of it and track it and and later throughout the episode i'll go through maybe how how often you're supposed to track it and some good times of day you should be tracking it and all of that but I just really want to start off with making you aware that if you don't have a blood pressure monitor at home, please, please do. It's more important than having a first aid kit with band-aids. And I would be shocked if any of you listening didn't have a first aid kit with band-aids. So if you got that, you just go on Amazon and buy this blood pressure monitor, please. Because when I first got my blood pressure monitor, I didn't expect to have high blood pressure and it was significantly elevated. And I'll I'll go through that whole story. But yeah, I just thought that was absolutely insane. That 7.6 million deaths every year around the world due to high blood pressure. And going back to the COVID bit, by the way, if we're looking at those total deaths, which I have right in front of me, 6.2 million total COVID deaths uh, as of the recording of this podcast. 6.2 million total COVID deaths over the last couple of years. And if we look at who was the most impacted by it, the people who were most impacted by COVID were the people with underlying heart and lung issues. And specifically, we're going to talk about heart issues. High blood pressure is one of the, is the most common underlying heart issue that most people have no idea they have. And so if you have high blood pressure, you are at a radically greater likelihood of dying from anything, from heart attacks, from strokes, from COVID, from so many things. High blood pressure is, it's the silent killer. It's just, it's, you can tell how passionate I am about this by how inarticulate I'm being. I just, I want everyone to get a blood pressure monitor and to keep track of it. It's one of the easiest things to track. And it's one of the things that if you catch it early enough, you can really work with your doctors to help you not only just through medication, but with lifestyle change as well. And I'm going to talk about all of that throughout this podcast. So 
with all that being said, I'm having a, a glass of red wine. I'm also having a Topo Chico. And um, I've got my notes in front of me that I'm going to dive right into. All right. So actually, you know what? First and foremost, before we dive into how I learned about blood pressure, why I started taking my blood pressure and what I did to improve my blood pressure, I just want to quickly have a a very brief primer on what is blood pressure. Like, what What does it actually mean? What is your blood pressure? So the two terms that we hear are systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure. So generally speaking, we hear something like 120 over 80, right? And that's generally the quote unquote gold standard for a healthy blood pressure. You could have lower than that. Lower than that is totally fine. You could have like a 110 over 70. That's a great blood pressure. But less than 120 over 80 is a very good, healthy, normal blood pressure. All right. Now, what do these numbers mean? So the top number, 120 in this example, is your systolic blood pressure. It's that first number. And that number indicates how much pressure your blood is exerting against your artery walls when your heart beats, okay? So it's the amount of pressure against your artery walls as your heart is beating. That's the systolic blood pressure. It's the top number. The diastolic blood pressure, it indicates how much pressure your blood is exerting against your artery walls while your heart is resting in between beats. Now, a lot of people ask, well, which number is more important? Generally speaking, the top number, the systolic blood pressure is the one that doctors will pay attention to more, but they both matter. And if either of them are high, it could be indicative of high blood pressure and you need to take care of it immediately. Okay. So it's not that systolic is necessarily more important, but it is one that they often pay attention to. But if either of them are high, it's very, very important to be aware of. And the reason that this is so important is because when you have excess pressure against your artery walls, it can do so much damage over years and over years and over years. Now, this is something where, again, there's no symptoms. You don't know you have it unless you you check it on a regular basis. But it's usually not something that will just happen overnight. And it's not something that causes an issue just one day. Oh, I have high blood pressure and boom, it's, it's bad, right? For example, when you exercise, your blood pressure increases during that bout of exercise. But we all know, hopefully, that exercise can improve your blood pressure long-term. So having brief periods of high blood pressure, for example, while you exercise is not necessarily bad. What's bad is when your blood pressure is chronically elevated for years and years and years, and the damage that does to your arterial walls can be devastating. And that's what can lead to heart attacks. It's what can lead to strokes. It's what can lead to a variety of health issues that lead to death as you get older and older and older. But also keep in mind, you don't have to be old to struggle with high blood pressure. This is a very common myth. Two of the most common myths are really only men have to worry about it. And that if you're young, you don't have to worry about it. That is nonsense. And especially more and more and more, we're finding men and women are often equally struggling with it. And we see, yes, generally, It's something that you see as people get older, especially after 50, they struggle with it more, but young people struggle with it as well. Genetics play a huge role in blood pressure. So if you have high blood pressure in your family, like I do, and I'll talk about that later, it's something you have to be on top of and aware of. So there are many, many, many factors, but that's a general idea of what your blood pressure is, why it's important to be aware of, and how it can affect you over the long term. So With all that being said, how did I learn about blood pressure and sort of why did it come into my world? Well, 
just to start going a little bit further back several years, I was Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer. And if you don't know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, he you can look him up on Google. You'll find him everywhere. He's got millions and millions and millions of followers. He's one of the uh, one of the world's leading experts in entrepreneurship. He's just he's like a father to me. He took me under his wing, but I was living in Israel for several years and. Gary's team found me and they asked if I would be willing to coach Gary and he lived in New York at the time. So when I first got, you know, contacted from them, I thought it was a joke. I didn't think that I was seriously that it was actually Gary's team asking if I wanted to coach Gary, but I flew from Tel Aviv to New York, interviewed with Gary and I got the job. Now, the thing about Gary is especially pre-COVID, he was traveling all the time. He was based out of New York City, but we were traveling nonstop. And we spent more time in airplanes and hotels than we actually did in New York City. So for my first three years living in New York, I didn't even really get to know New York because I was constantly traveling. If Gary was in Hong Kong, then I was in Hong Kong. If he was in London, then I was in London. If he was in Amsterdam, I was in Amsterdam. If he was in LA, I was in LA. If he was in Nashville, I was in Nashville. It was a seven day a week job for three years straight. There were no weekends off, no vacations, no nothing. I was coaching Gary. And at the same time, I was building my business. And throughout these three years, my own personal fitness went to shit. If you scroll down my Instagram, which you're going to have to scroll down a lot, but if you scroll down, you'll see pictures that I took of myself. If you go to my YouTube channel and look at videos of myself over that time frame, you'll see I gained a pretty significant amount of body fat. Uh, I lost a significant amount of muscle mass. And I was, I, because I was working and traveling so much, I basically, and again, I was like, 26, 27, 28 years old, I had decided that I was essentially going to put myself in detention and I was just going to work. I was just going to work. I was going to build my business as much as I could over those three years. And I don't regret it at all. But I let my own health and fitness go to the wayside so that I could work on my business. And that included doing all-nighters on a regular basis, usually multiple all-nighters every single week so I could get more work done. We were traveling constantly. I was never really in one time zone. Super high-stress situations, always on call, whatever Gary needed, whenever he needed it, I had to be there for him. There was periods of time where I was posting on Instagram three times a day, one YouTube video a week, not to mention coaching Gary and also all of my online coaching clients at the time and doing the inner circle. I mean, it was it was non stop. So my own health and fitness went to shit and my stress and anxiety and my sleep and all of that, it was, it was at an all time high. I, I wasn't sleeping at all. It was bad. It was really, really bad for my health. Good for my business, bad for my health. And again, I don't regret it, but I also wouldn't recommend it to anybody because who knows what that did for, to me long-term. I don't know how many years that potentially could have taken for my life. But again, I don't regret it because I'm very glad with the impact that I've been able to have as a result of it and how I've been able to grow my business and the freedom that I now have as a result of it. But I would never recommend anybody do what I did. So anyway, I did that for three years. And near the end of my time coaching Gary, I saw two posts on Instagram that potentially saved my life. So the first post that I saw on Instagram was actually from an inner circle member. And I believe it was Andrea. Andrea, if you're listening to this, shoot me a text because I don't even think I ever told you, Andrea, that this story changed my life. But an inner circle member, Andrea, posted on Instagram about her friend who, who he was a father. He was in his 40s. He was healthy. He exercised regularly. And he was on a, a fishing trip or he was on a boat with his family. 
And while he was out on this boat with his family, with his wife and kids, he dropped dead. Just out of nowhere, dropped dead, had a heart attack. Again, he was in his 40s. He was healthy. He was super fit. He had no idea he had high blood pressure. And I remember seeing this and thinking, holy shit, like this guy in his 40s, he's he's so young. Our 40s, like in my, it's funny now, but I think 40s is like a baby. Like you're so young. You're a kid at 40. And he was, he exercised a lot. He ate really healthy. No one looking at him, no one knew that he had any issues. He never felt like he had any issues. Boom, drop dead right on a boat out there with his family, with his wife and kids, literally right there. And that shook me. And I remember Andrea wrote in the caption, she wrote all this and she made like sort of a call to action, like, please check, get your blood pressure checked. This is super important. And that stuck with me, but it wasn't, there wasn't enough there to get me to make a change, right? There wasn't enough like, okay, well, I know this is important, but what do I do? I had no idea. So I didn't actually make a change there. What caused me to make a change was an Instagram post I saw within the next month. This woman named Nurse Kate, who actually I had on this podcast several years ago now, I'll post a link to that podcast episode as well in the show notes. Nurse Kate, she posted an Instagram picture of herself checking her blood pressure at home. And I was like, oh my God, she's doing it at home because I always associated checking blood pressure with just going to the doctor. But she had an entire post about how she checks her blood pressure and her husband's blood pressure regularly at home. And it's very easy. You could just buy a blood pressure monitor off Amazon. And I was like, holy shit. So between the first Instagram post of, of my friend Andrea posting about this super healthy, fit guy just dying on a boat out with his family, and then between this, Nurse Kate showing you could just get a blood pressure monitor off Amazon, I was like, all right, cool, that's it. I immediately went on Amazon and I bought a blood pressure monitor, the one that I'm linking the show notes for you. Now, I at that point in my life, I didn't know much about blood pressure. I had started to learn about it more, but... My whole life, I was fortunately very healthy. I never had any issues. And I just sort of assumed that it was still going to be that way. Never mind the fact that this is on the back end of three years of multiple all-nighters a week, every week, working my ass off, traveling like crazy, like just insane, insane, insane schedule. So I get the blood pressure monitor and it tells me that my blood pressure is about 145 over 90, which at that time, I think I'm 27, 28 years old. And I was like, holy shit, that it blew me at 145 over 90 is high blood pressure. Now, again, it, you don't have to be older in order to get high blood pressure. I thought it was a mistake. So I checked it again. And consistently, my blood pressure was between 140 to 150 over 80 to 90. That's high blood pressure. That And I had, I don't know how long I had that for. I don't know. I don't know how long I had been dealing with that. I don't know how long my arteries were dealing with all that stress. But it freaked me out. And I immediately messaged Nurse Kate and she was super helpful. And that is what jarred me into getting my my health in check. That seeing 140 to 150 over 80 to 90, that's when I was like, I could die. And I think that was the first time in my life that I really, I really internalized that, you know, we all sort of feel invincible in some sense, especially the younger we are. I remember being a teenager, just doing such stupid stuff because you don't think anything bad is going to happen to you. Well, I think this was one of the first times in my life. And I was like, oh my God, like my health is not going the right direction and I'm scared. So nurse Kate was super helpful. And that's when I realized I need to stop 
working with Gary. I, Gary had asked if I wanted to re-up our contract. And I was like, listen, man, it's been an amazing three years. I love you to death, but I can't do this anymore. Like I need to focus on me. And and he was super understanding. And and then my buddy, Mike Vacanti, who had coached Gary previously, ended up coaching Gary again. So it was fine. And Gary and I are, are on wonderful terms. Again, he's like a father to me, but I had to do what was right for me. So I stopped coaching him. And that's when I started to get everything in check. And I actually made a YouTube video about this. I believe it was January of 2020. I made like my own New Year's resolutions YouTube video explaining what my goals were. And one of my major goals was getting my blood pressure to a healthier range. And I outlined exactly the action steps I was going to take to achieve that. And one of them was no all-nighters. I had to get my sleep in check, which this was very difficult for me. And, and it's not just difficult from the perspective of sleeping. It was difficult from the perspective of changing my habits and specifically the habit of staying up all night to work because I had spent literally three years doing that so often. I had learned, I had, I had conditioned myself to believe that I needed to stay up and work nonstop in order for my business to succeed. So I not only like, was it very difficult for me to do that, just like to, to actually get in the habit of doing it, but breaking this fear mentality that like, hey, you need to relax and go to bed, put your phone down and go to bed. You need to watch a TV show with your wife or at that time she was my girlfriend. Just watch a movie, relax, enjoy dinner. When when your girlfriend goes to bed, you go to bed with her. Don't stay up all night and, and say you've got to work. This was very difficult for me, but I'm also super proud to say that since that video I made in January of 2020, I've only had one night in which I stayed up all night, only one, and that was in March of 2020. And that was, you know, right when when COVID had just hit the United States and people were freaking out and and I was freaking out and my wife and I we went to Boston to be close to my mom and just in case she needed anything and there was one night in in Massachusetts that I did an all nighter working. But that's it. So since January 2020, I've only done one and I haven't done any since March of 2020. And I think that was probably one of the the biggest, not probably, that was one of the biggest things that has helped me improve my blood pressure was emphasizing sleep and getting good sleep. And not just not playing all-nighters, but regularly getting seven to nine hours. Now, I know some people are like, like, I can't get seven to nine hours, whether you have kids, whether it's work, whatever. There are many reasons why someone might not be able to get that on a regular basis. I get it. My wife is pregnant. She's about to give birth to uh, to our kid in the next several months, which I am cannot wait for. And I'm fully prepared to for potentially my, my sleep to take a hit. But you have to make an effort because most of the people that I see and I'm not talking about the the parents with small children or anything that, but generally speaking, by and large, the vast majority of people who say they struggle with sleep, they're keeping their phone right in their in front of their fucking face, and they're scrolling and they're scrolling and they're scrolling because of they're they're getting this massive dopamine hit over and over and over again. And as soon as they get bored, boom, phone to the face, anything, phone to the face, phone to the face, phone to the face. And I don't care if you get those blue blocker, stupid fucking glasses that are supposed to block the blue light. I don't care. Get your phone out of your face and go to bed. I think as a society, we've gotten so, so this, this idea of boredom is, is not okay anymore. Like, and I'm not just talking about other people. I struggle with this as well. As soon as I'm bored, I put my phone in my face 
And I've, I'm like, why am I doing that? Why do I have to be entertained with something else from somebody who I don't know in an area of the world or the country that, that I'm, I'm probably never going to meet them? Like, why am I watching all of these stupid videos online? And granted, some of them are hilarious. Like, there are some great memes, great videos, but get your phone out of your face and go to bed. It's so, so important. And honestly, one of the things that helped with this was um, I take Legion Athletic Sleep Supplement. It's called Lunar. This was super helpful to me, especially early on when I needed to establish a, a good sleep schedule. Because when, you, when you're on a, a consistently poor sleep schedule, oftentimes you won't get tired early on. So I started taking Legion's Lunar earlier on the day, right around like 7 or 8 p.m. So that by 9 or 10 p.m. I was exhausted. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to put my phone down and go to bed. And now it's just more my habit. And I do take Lunar occasionally. Maybe if I if I was really excited that day or if I had to work out a little bit later and my adrenaline was still up, I'll take Lunar. I don't take it every night now. But when you're establishing a new sleep routine, it can be super helpful. So if you want, I'll put a link in the show notes to Legion's Lunar Supplement uh, if you want to use that, and if you want, you can use the code SYATT, S-Y-A-T-T, to get 20% off your first order. If not, no worries. You could just go to CVS or Amazon and order melatonin. Lunar isn't just melatonin. They have other things in it as well. But I don't usually just take melatonin because they can give you some really fucked up dreams. And I know for me, I'm super affected by melatonin in the dreams. Like I have the weirdest dreams and they almost like they wake me up and they ruin my sleep quality when I do that. But Lunar has been fantastic for me in establishing a good sleep schedule, getting tired at a, at a more appropriate time and getting to bed. So sleep is just, it's without question, one of the most important things that will help with your blood pressure and not just not just getting enough sleep, but high quality sleep, making sure uh, we recently got blackout curtains in our apartment that has massively, massively improved my quality of sleep, keeping it in a cool room, keeping your room temperature a little bit on the cooler side, snuggling up, getting maybe a lot of blankets on top of you. If you're, if it's warmer in the room, oftentimes sleep quality can suffer. So, and, and also and I'll talk about caffeine in a little bit, but making sure you're not having caffeine later in the day can because that can ruin sleep quality as well. So sleep, I put this as number one because I really think it's probably one of, if not the most important things to do to improve your blood pressure. And I know for a fact that it helped improve mine. The next thing that really helped was obviously exercise. And, you know, we could talk about that for a long time, but like I was saying, when I was coaching Gary, I was exercising very little, um, not because I couldn't exercise, but because I I wasn't. I just, I chose not to. And again, yeah, my schedule was crazy and I was traveling all over the world and Gary was my priority and then building my business was my priority and the inner circle members and clients were priorities, but I wasn't prioritizing exercise. And I knew that would affect my health. I knew that wouldn't be good for me, but I didn't realize how much it would affect me until I actually realized my blood pressure was 140 to 150 over 80 to 90. So Interestingly, when I started to exercise again for the first time in my life, it was excruciatingly difficult for me to work out because I had essentially taken about the first six months I was with Gary, I still worked out. But after those six months, I, I really let it fall to the wayside. So I spent about two and a half years exercising very little, very, 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 very little. So when I first got back into it, I was just doing three times a week strength training just three times a week strength training. And that was brutal. It, and it gave me a huge amount of empathy to people who are 
either starting to work out for the first time in their life or maybe they've taken years off of working out, I get how difficult it can be. I get how how excruciatingly awful it can be to get up off the couch and go to the gym and work out. I get it. And that has given me a tremendous amount of empathy for those people, but you've got to fucking do it. You have to do it. And the way that I've phrased this before, I'm sure many of you have heard this phrasing before, but either way, you're going to suffer. That that's You are going to suffer no matter what. Either you're going to willfully suffer through your exercise and through your workout, you'll willfully do that, or you will unwillfully suffer as the result of, of not working out and not eating well later on in life, whether it's with high blood pressure, whether it's getting a disease, whatever it is, if you don't willfully suffer, you will suffer down the road as a result of it. So at first, I just started doing three times a week of about 30 to 45 minute strength sessions, and that was it. And that did help improve my blood pressure. But honestly, my blood pressure didn't start really improving until I started doing more cardio. Cardio was without question. Cardio and sleep, the two biggest things that improve my blood pressure. And I'll put sleep and cardio right next to each other, more than strength training. Without question, getting my daily steps in and then doing some lower intensity cardio, some zone two cardio, that's what changed the game. That's what got my blood pressure to a healthy range and the fastest as well. That's what had the most immediate impact on my cardio. And it's funny because earlier on, I actually tried to do a little bit of higher intensity work and some sprinting. And it's not that it didn't help my blood pressure, but it was so uncomfortable early on, especially when I hadn't worked out in a while, that it just made me not want to work out at all. But getting my steps in, that's easy. Cool. I'll walk. I'll walk around my fucking apartment. I don't care. That's what I started with. When I would do business calls, I would do business calls and we had a tiny little apartment in New York City. It was like 500 square feet. I just walked around the apartment and I'm sure it was annoying the hell out of my wife. But that's what I did. I had to get my steps in somehow. I used to go in my apartment building and walk up and down the stairs while I would do business calls, uh, which was super annoying for the person I was talking to because it would echo. It was like this like uh, cement stairwell outside my apartment in the building and I would just walk up and down. It was like echoey for them, but I needed to get my steps in. And that was that was such an important part of my blood pressure and of my health was just walking more, starting off just getting about five to 7,000 steps a day and upping from 7,000 to 8,000, 8,000 to 9,000. And then now I regularly get 10,000 without problem. Right now I'm looking at my watch. I got 14,000 today. It's just, it's part of my life now. And I get it. You know, I'm, I'm young. I don't have kids yet. And it's much harder for people. You don't have to get 14,000. But if we're looking at health data, getting at least 7,500 a day is critically important. If you can get 7,500 steps a day, you will massively, massively reduce your risk of high blood pressure, reduce your risk of heart attack, reduce your risk of stroke, reduce your risk of dementia, reduce your risk of so many health issues as a result of it. So the, the steps was number one. And then the zone two cardio, that just, that took it to the next level. And I just started off with two times a week of that, doing two times a week for about 30 minutes. And that was massively helpful. If you don't know what I mean by zone two cardio, I have two podcast episodes just on that with my coach, Alex Viata, who's an expert in this field. So I will put the links to each of those podcasts in the show notes as well. But 
steps are most important and then some zone two cardio on top of that a couple times a week is massively helpful and actually this month in april 2022 susan niebergall and myself we put out steps and cardio challenge in the inner circle and we actually gave 10 walking pads away to inner circle members just try to encourage them to get more steps in so we got 500 dollars walking pads for 10 members in the inner circle because we just want people to focus on this more. That's how passionate we are about this. So uh, if you want to join the inner circle and get involved in that steps and cardio walking challenge, we we used to just include strength training for the inner circle among everything else, among you know the nutrition guidelines and among the recipes that we have and all that. But we've recently included more cardio and step guidelines as well. So if you want to be in the inner circle and have us program your strength training and your cardio, just click the link in the show notes. You can join the inner circle. We would love to have you. But whether you join or not, like you don't need me to program your steps and cardio. I just told you, you get 7,500 steps a day at least if you can. And two to three times a week, 30 minutes of zone two can, if you just do sleep and that, you are going to be so much better off. You have no idea. Your health will be so much better off if that's all you do. So sleep number one, steps cardio number two, then we'll go exercise like strength training, Number three, and again, when I first started, I was just doing three times a week of about 30 to 45 minutes. Nutrition, obviously super important as well. This is actually where, you know, what I said on, on Instagram somewhat recently that I try and stay away from processed meats. So someone asked, are there any foods that I try and stay away from? And I don't say any food is inherently bad because that's not true. But looking at research, processed meats, if you eat a lot of processed meats, especially a lot of processed red meats, but processed meats in general, and what I mean by processed, I mean oftentimes like deli meats or beef jerkies or any of that, which I, I used to have beef jerky all the time when I was traveling. It was just an easy way for me to get my protein in when I was traveling. But without question, high consumption of processed meats is associated with many cancers, uh, many health issues, including high blood pressure. So I do stay away from those, but for nutrition, fiber, and fruits and vegetables, without question, most important. Now, I'm going to say something, and I've been wanting to talk about this more. I know I'll be vilified as soon as I say it, but I've actually been reducing my protein intake lately, not because protein is bad for you at all. Protein is super important, and I would say the vast majority of people under-eat protein. They just they massively under-eat it, and when weight loss is your goal, and when health is your goal, you need to eat enough protein. It's very important. But I do think the fitness industry often over-recommends protein. Uh, and I think I have over-recommended it in the past, which is why I've been reducing it in order to allow me to get more fiber and fruits in specifically. I'm been, I've been starting my day with, I said it in the inner circle recently, I start my day with a fiber bomb. I just try and get as much fiber as I can early in the day. And I've noticed my stomach feels better. And by stomach, I mean bloating. I mean digestion. I mean energy. Oftentimes, if you eat too much protein, it sort of just sits heavy in your stomach. And there potentially could be a lot of colorectal issues with that. But Starting with fiber, fruits, and veggies is so important, not just from a colorectal perspective, but also from a blood pressure perspective, overall health perspective. So nutrition, fiber, fruits, vegetables, and less processed foods. You don't need to completely eliminate them, but just not as much. And then the, the second to last thing, I've got two more things on this list, hydration massively important. Now, I know historically for me, I've always struggled with staying hydrated and for me, I always found that 
it's been, I've always been made fun of in my, my friends group because anytime we would ever go out drinking, they would always be like, Jordan, you're just sipping your drink. And it was good because it's very difficult for me to drink too much because I've just found I get very uncomfortable when I drink a lot of fluids. It doesn't feel good to have a lot of fluids in me. Like it's just, my wife can chug water. It's funny. I, I <laughs> uh, early on in our relationship, I, I said, you're my gamal and gamal is Hebrew for camel because she can just drink nonstop. And now that she's pregnant, she drinks, she's thirsty all the time. But even before she was pregnant, she just could drink so much. I've, I've never met someone who could drink more water than my wife. It's crazy. She's, she's like a camel. It's unbelievable. For me, it's so uncomfortable when I drink a lot that if I'm not drinking consistently throughout the day, then I'm going to be dehydrated because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't like chugging the water. So what I found though, was that if I drink very cold water, if I get a great water bottle and fill it up with a lot of ice and make sure the water I'm drinking is super cold, it's just for whatever reason, it's way easier drinking lukewarm water or warmish water. It doesn't feel comfortable. I, I don't really like how it tastes. I know water doesn't have a taste, but there's something about freezing cold water that has made staying hydrated infinitely easier and more enjoyable for me. So if you don't have a, a nice water bottle with you to help keep your water cold, I would strongly recommend doing that. Um, I my wife has bought ours on Amazon. I don't have the link. I'll try and get the link from her so I can put the link in the in the show notes for you. But if not, just get a water bottle that's a good quality water bottle and keep your water cold and around you at all times. This is also super important for blood pressure. Uh, and the last one, and arguably one of the most controversial ones and ones that a lot of people also want to learn about is caffeine. Early on, I didn't stop caffeine, but within the last six months, I completely stopped drinking coffee and I reduced my caffeine to about like 50 to 75 milligrams a day at most. That's like at most. And usually it's less than that. And that's coming from me, a guy who many of you probably don't know this, but I used to own a coffee company in another life. I owned a coffee company many, many, many years ago, but I love coffee. There are many health benefits to coffee. There are many health benefits to drinking coffee. Up to about four cups a day, you get many cancer prevention benefits, a lot of Alzheimer prevention benefits. There are many reasons why coffee can be so good for you. But I needed to remove the caffeine because I kept noticing that my blood pressure was spiking significantly when I was having more caffeine. And, and I'm not talking about outrageous amounts of caffeine. I'm not talking about eight cups a day. I'm talking about even with two to three cups, my blood pressure was was elevated way more than I wanted it to be. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take caffeine out for a month and see how it goes. And my blood pressure dropped dramatically. And I was like, cool, done. That's it. It's enough for me. Now, a lot of people ask, what were my side effects like? I understand this is different for different people. For example, I remember my mom stopped having caffeine when I was a kid for a while and she had brutal brutal headaches. She really struggled with it for a while. I had literally zero side effects from it. I got no headaches. I had no energy issues. I I felt great. And I know this is highly personal and some people are highly individual, excuse me. And I know some people will have very bad withdrawals and other people won't have withdrawals at all. And some people will feel better instead of feeling worse. So that was just my experience. I had zero withdrawal symptoms. I felt great. And I actually ended up switching from coffee to non-caffeinated tea or just tea with very, very little caffeine in it sometimes. I do also occasionally have some Diet Coke as well, but 
not much, just a couple of times a week. There's nothing wrong with artificial sweeteners, I would say, just from a health perspective that we know of currently. And I'm not staying away from it for the artificial sweetener purposes. I'm staying away from it if there's caffeine in it. There are some options that don't have caffeine and I'll go for those if I'm gonna have it. But occasionally I'll have a little bit of caffeine. But uh, by and large, I've stayed away from caffeine and it's been massively, massively helpful for my blood pressure. So having said all of that, those are the major things I did. It was sleep, steps in cardio, strength training, nutrition, hydration, and caffeine. Now, there's one more thing that I'm going to talk about, and it has nothing to do with like physical health and fitness, whether you know it's not like sleep or exercise or nutrition, any of that. It, it's social media. And you may have noticed that for a while now, I've actually been doing way less social media. I do a lot of Q and A's on my Instagram and I do a lot of podcasting. I'm so backed up on podcasts. It's unbelievable. I have so many to publish. It's, it's crazy. I podcast from like October and November of 2021 that I still need to publish. I'm just really backed up, but either way, I've been spending less time on my Instagram feed. I haven't made any YouTube videos in almost a year now. And that was by design. And there are many reasons, not least of which is that I noticed my social media use was increasing my blood pressure. And that might sound crazy. And I think it is crazy, but it's true. I did an experiment on myself. I should have made this into a YouTube video, but you know, I wanted to get off social media where I tracked my blood pressure every day for a week using Instagram per usual. And then I took almost an entire week away from Instagram, not the whole week, about five or six days. And I tracked my blood pressure. And my blood pressure was down like 10 points on the week that I didn't use social media, which blew me the fuck away. I I couldn't believe it. And on the same hand, I could also believe it, right? Because, you know, sometimes we just see things on social media that immediately spike our blood pressure. And this is another thing for me about why I want people to just put their fucking phones down because I'm like, it's not normal. We're not designed to have these massive ranges of emotions constantly, all day, every day, over and over and over. Like life is supposed to be a little bit boring. That's what happens when you get in a routine. It gets a little bit boring. And we weren't designed to be having this screen in our face with these massive, like these so many different things being shot at you, this and that and this and that. And you're looking at it and one thing makes you super happy and the next thing makes you cry because it's so cute. And then the next thing makes you so angry because it's so fucking stupid and so on and so forth over and over and over and over again. We're not supposed to have that. And I think that can really, really play a huge impact on your blood pressure. I know for a fact it does. So I reduced my social media consumption and also my my social media production as well, just to try and help with this. And it did help a lot. Recently, I've been coming back to it while monitoring my blood pressure. I've been doing more reels on Instagram, which have actually been great because the thing that I've been doing to help me with my social media and the effect on my blood pressure is I've been trying to look at the comments very little. It's really, for me, it's the comment section that gets the most difficult. And sometimes the DMs, most of my DMs are incredibly kind and encouraging and amazing. And thank you all for that. Occasionally I get the asshole and I'll I'll often post them in my stories just to call them out. But the comment section can really just make my blood boil. So I've tried not looking at it. I make a reel, I post it, boom, done. And that's it. And I think that's actually been very helpful and productive for me. So If you're struggling with blood pressure and you notice you're on social media a lot, get off or figure out a way to structure your social media so you're not looking at things that piss you off. (laughs) So again, I know easier said than done, but 
I deliberately reduced my social media consumption and production for the better part of six months for the specific purpose of improving my health. And my business is built on the backbone of social media, but I had to do it for my health. So I, I encourage you to try and do the same. Now, with all that said, my blood pressure came down from about, I, again, I said when it was at its worst, it was about 140 to 150 over 80 to 90. It came down to about 125 over 80. And that's pretty healthy, but it wasn't where my cardiologist wanted it, especially for my age. Now, I, I went to my car, to a cardiologist down here in Dallas. He's amazing. I believe his name is Dr. Sharif. I'm not 100% sure. Super nice guy, great doctors and nurses with him who were very helpful to me. And I was bombarding them with questions and asking them stuff. I actually got an echocardiogram done to look at the overall health of my heart, which I strongly encourage you to do. If you can book an appointment with your cardiologist and get an echocardiogram done, I would ask for that specifically. It takes an overall look at your heart health. And they said that my heart health fortunately looked very good. They were very happy with my heart health, but they didn't like where my blood pressure was, even though it was about 125 over 80 or so. And I brought that down naturally all by myself. They still thought it was a little bit high and they brought up medication. And I immediately got, I, I felt myself get defensive. And anytime I feel myself get defensive or, or have an immediate gut reaction, I try and be objectively aware of it, which it doesn't always happen. Sometimes I'm not objectively aware of it, but I felt myself immediately get defensive. Like I don't want to be on medication. And I was like, why did I get that immediate? Why did that immediately jump to me? Why, like why medication equal bad, right? Like why, why is all of a sudden medication a bad thing? Why should I be so defensive about it? So I asked them and I was like, is 125 over 80 good? They're like, it's good, but it's a little bit higher than we want. We would like to see you just a little bit lower on a consistent basis. And we think medication could help. And it was funny because I was actually talking to the nurse and she was a very kind woman. She was probably like 30 or 35 years old. And she was like, I'm on blood pressure medication as well. She was like, it's just, it's in my family. I have genetically high blood pressure. So I'm on a very low dose as well. And it helps manage it. And so I did more research into it. And the reality is I, I just came to the conclusion that there's a massive stigma around medication in general. In the same way, there's a massive stigma around weight loss surgery. There's a massive stigma around therapy. There are stigmas around so many things. And I don't really know why. And the more research I did on blood pressure medication, the more I realized this medication is just, it's designed to, to keep you healthier. It's to keep your blood pressure in a healthier range. There are no negative side effects from it, at least not from the one that I was given. I was given Lasartan potassium, and just, I believe five milligrams a day, super low dose. And as soon as I started taking it within about a month, my blood pressure went from 125 over 80 to anywhere between like 110 to 120 over 60. And boom, and that's it. I take about five milligrams a day. That's all I take. And I'm just really glad that I did. It's so funny because not only when I started taking it, did my blood pressure decrease, but my anxiety decreased. And people have anxiety for so many different reasons. A lot of my anxiety stems from, you know, I run and own a business and I support not only my wife and our future children, but I support my mom as well. And I feel like sometimes I just feel like there's a lot on my shoulders. So that's where I think a lot of my anxiety stems from. And especially the, the worry, whether it's logical or not, the worry about potentially losing everything I've built is something that I've struggled with anxiety for a while. But as I saw my blood pressure dropping, 
my anxiety dropped as well. And that was like just a double win, which I had no idea. And I, I don't know if that was a side effect of the medication or just a side effect of seeing my blood pressure drop to a healthier range that I was really excited about. But either way, it was massively, massively helpful. And, and the other reason, I forgot to mention this, the other reason they wanted to put me on blood pressure is because I found out through asking my family members that I have genetically high blood pressure. Interestingly enough, the guy in my family who has very high blood pressure He's my cousin. His name's David. My mom's brother's son. He has high blood pressure. And he, I'll start by saying, my family is not athletic at all. My family is doctors and lawyers and teachers and professors and superintendents. No one in my family was really athletic or into sports. I'm like the black sheep in my family. It was very odd. And for years, they tried to convince me not to do personal training. Even my mom will still jokingly say, you know, you could still go back to school and be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. But so it's very weird for my family to be someone to be so focused on on sports and athletics and health. But the only other person in my family who is also very into health and, and sports and athletics is my cousin, David. And he's actually, he's a professor at George Washington University. He's a professor of Native American history. I think he's actually one of the reasons why I'm so interested in history. I remember when I was a kid, I would go and visit him. He's much older than me. He's about 20 years older than me. I would go visit him when I was in middle school and, and I would go and listen to his classes at GW sometimes. And anytime I would visit him, we would go on runs and we'd work out together and David and I are the only two people in our entire extended family who ever were interested in health and fitness. And David has had genetically high blood pressure for years, and he's been on blood pressure medication since his 20s. And realistically, I probably should have been on blood pressure medication since my 20s as well. But I didn't know I had it because I didn't have a blood pressure monitor. And when I first started working on my blood pressure, I just did you know sleep, steps and cardio, strength training, nutrition, hydration, and caffeine. That was really it. And also reducing um, my social media use. And that got me to a healthier range. But because I have genetically high blood pressure and because I am on the younger side, they were like, we want to just take care of this right now. We want to get you to a healthier range on a consistent basis because that's where high blood pressure can be so dangerous is when you have consistently high blood pressure for years and years and years. That's when it does damage to your arteries and blood vessels. So that's why I got on blood pressure medication. I'm so glad that I did. So many of the questions that I've gotten about blood pressure are people asking me how to do it without medication and how they want to avoid medication. And I respect that and I appreciate it. And I, I wanted to do the same, but it's also important to know that there's nothing wrong with blood pressure medication. It's not bad for you. It's actually, it's there to help you. That's the point. That's the reason you're taking it. And if you have chronically high blood pressure and genetically high blood pressure, it could save your life. Now, What's important to note here is it's not like blood pressure medication is a fix-all. It's not like you take the medication and then you eat like shit and you don't work out and you sleep like shit. It's no, no. The medication is meant to be taken in conjunction with prioritizing sleep, prioritizing your steps and cardio, prioritizing your strength training and nutrition and hydration and minimizing caffeine. That is what this all should be for. But the medication can help with that, especially if you've done all you can for years and years and years to get it down naturally, but maybe you just have genetically high blood pressure, get some help. That's one of the great things about modern science and medicine is that we now have medication to help you. So if your doctor recommends it, you don't need to jump on it, but it might be worth it. It could very well save your life. So 
You know, I'll actually, I'll talk about one more thing before I go into questions like how often should you check your blood pressure or when to check it, da, 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 da. A very common recommendation for people to improve their blood pressure is to reduce sodium intake. And this is important to discuss. And remember, like I said in the beginning, I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice. I'm just giving you advice that I've received from my cardiologist and that I've learned from my own research is that sodium has been demonized in many, many ways. And it's been demonized to the effect that eating any salt is all of a sudden going to give you high blood pressure. And that's not how it works. Salt is super important. If you don't have salt, you die. You need salt. It's super important for your hydration status, important for your performance. It's a very, very, very important electrolyte that you need, okay? So it's not that salt is bad. Just like anything, just like too much water can be bad for you, too much salt can be bad for you. If you drink too much water, you die. And you can Google that if you don't believe me. Like Google search, can drinking too much water kill you? You will find stories of people who were overhydrated and it diluted their blood. So too much of anything can kill you. So yes, there is obviously too much salt, but salt in and of itself is not bad. Often the issue with salt is that people are eating too much salt and not enough potassium. So oftentimes, not for everyone, but for some people, just increasing your potassium intake is enough to offset salt and can also just improve your your blood pressure. Now, you have to speak with your doctor before you just go and haphazardly increase your potassium intake because there are some people who have health conditions that increasing your potassium intake could be bad for you. It could be negative. So you need to speak with your doctor first. I'm not just telling you go and eat way more potassium because there are potential negative effects for some people if you increase your potassium too much. So speak with your doctor, please. But it is important to note that salt is not the demon that it's been made out to be. So Having said all of that, how and when should you check your blood pressure? How often and when should you check it? So when I first started checking my blood pressure, I was doing it right when I woke up because there was some research saying you should check it right when you wake up, when you have your own blood pressure monitor. But I actually realized that when you wake up, your cortisol level is often higher right when you wake up than it is a little bit later in the day. And with a higher cortisol, your blood pressure can be a little bit higher. And I kept being like, why is my blood pressure high this early in the morning. And it was because cortisol can make it spike. And if you have higher cortisol in the morning, which basically all of us do, then uh, it can be higher. So I started taking my blood pressure in the early to mid afternoon. And that was massively helpful for me. Taking it early to mid afternoon, once a week. I used to take it every day. The reason I used to take it every day was because I just wanted to get more comfortable with the numbers. But I found that the more I took it on a daily basis, the more like I got anxious. And the same way that I tell people who get really anxious with the scale, sometimes, you know, some people should check it every day. Other people, maybe a little bit less often. I realized I did much better with blood pressure when I just checked it once a week. So now I check my blood pressure once a week, usually on Sunday afternoon, early evening, and I sit down and this is really, really, really important. You do not, you ideally don't want to be having caffeine before you're checking your blood pressure. You want to sit down and wait for at least five minutes before you do anything. Okay. So for, (laughs) I used to sit down and immediately take my blood pressure and it would be higher. And I was like, what's going on? Why is my blood pressure high? And I started looking at, okay, how are you supposed to take your blood pressure? First, you sit down, you wait for at least five minutes. Some people recommend up to 10 minutes. You wait five minutes. I I wait five minutes. 
You don't want your legs crossed, so do not cross your legs or arms. That can skew the results. Uh, you don't want to be taking uh, drinking caffeine beforehand. So if you're drinking pre-workout or something a couple hours before and then going to take your blood pressure, probably not a good idea. It's probably going to be elevated. And you want your arms elevated, especially the arm that you're taking the blood pressure with. should be at about your heart level. Okay, so feet flat on the floor legs and arms not crossed, sitting straight up, and you wait about five to 10 minutes before you start taking your blood pressure. This is so you can get the most accurate reading. The other thing I recommend, if you're gonna get a blood pressure monitor off Amazon, again, the one I use, the link is in the show notes, bring it to your doctor's office. The next time you go in for your physical, bring it. And when they check your blood pressure, just check yours right after and see how closely they match up. That way you can calibrate it and see, okay, is my blood pressure monitor accurate? And if it's not, what's the what's the, sort of the, the range of accuracy relative to my, my doctor's blood pressure monitor? And this can also be helpful because many people, myself included, struggle with something called white coat syndrome, where when you go into the doctor's office, you know they're oftentimes wearing a white coat. And when they take your blood pressure in the doctor's office, you're a little bit nervous and your blood pressure shoots up. So this is a very common phenomenon. It's actually one of the reasons why I think I wasn't marked as having high blood pressure for a while because they just, a lot of doctors, especially in New York, they have so many patients, they're seeing so many people. They saw me, I was young. They I said I was a personal trainer. My blood pressure was a little bit high when I would go in and they're like, oh, it's probably just white coat syndrome. And this happened so many times. I was like, this is happening literally every time I'm here. Maybe it's an actual issue, which is why one of the reasons I got my own blood pressure monitor checked in. I was like, holy shit, I've got high blood pressure. But if your blood pressure is high in the doctor's office and then you go home and take it and it's not high, well, that could be a good sign that maybe you just have white coat syndrome. So that is something to be aware of and also to speak to with your doctor. But I think I think we finally finished this podcast. The main message that I really wanted to get across here was please be aware of your blood pressure. Monitor it. Don't ignore it. Keep track of it. Get a monitor to have at home. It could save your life. Remember, 7.6 million deaths every year around the world. It's called the silent killer for a reason. People don't know they have it. The only way you know you have it is if you get it checked. So please get a blood pressure monitor, check it on a regular basis. Make sure you're getting good sleep. Make sure you're getting your cardio and your steps in, exercising at least three times a week with strength training. Get a lot of fiber, fruits, and vegetables in. Maybe have a little bit less processed meats. Uh, stay hydrated. Drink some really cold water if that because that helps me. Reduce your caffeine. And also monitor your social media because that can really help a lot. And I know none of this is really sexy or any of that, but it can be very, very, very helpful. Uh, and I, I really hope also if your doctor says, hey, it might be time for medication, you approach it with a, an open mind and don't just write it off as inherently bad because it, it could potentially save your life as well. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please leave a five-star review on iTunes or on Spotify. They just made that available on Spotify as well. It really does help a lot. And uh, if you'd like to join the Inner Circle, take part in the steps and cardio challenge that we have going on right now. Get your workouts written by us. Uh, have access to the Inner Circle app. All of that, we would love to have you. The link is in the show notes or you can do that at www.sfinnercircle.com. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Oh,